Well, as we think about wrapping up, I want us to, to ponder the reality that our time left on this planet is finite, isn't it? In fact, currently, the average life expectancy for a male in the United States is 78.6 years. I don't know how they get the .6 years and where that factors in, but 78.6 years, that's the average life expectancy. So for those of you in the room, you can do the math. You can figure out, okay, just even based on the, the average life expectancy for a man in the United States, this is how much time that I would have left if that's how long I live. And see, the... The, the writer of the Psalms and, and in Proverbs and also in Ecclesiastes, it, it talks a lot about how we use our time. In fact, it talks a lot about the fact that we need to come to, the, the, come to terms with our mortality, come to grips with the fact that we do have a finite amount of time left on this planet. And that's if the Lord doesn't return before we hit that average life age, or maybe some of us a little bit longer, some of us a little bit earlier, but we believe in the imminence of the Lord's return, that he could come back at any moment. And so from that perspective, as Christian men, we understand that our time on this earth, on this planet is incredibly finite, that we need to be living in the reality that, that this may be the last day that we have, whether the Lord takes us home through some tragic event and, and brings us into his presence that way, or whether he comes back before this sermon's over, the time that we have left is little. And maybe that's impacted the way that you live your life already. Maybe that's changed the way that you eat because you want to extend your life a little bit more. You don't buy into the philosophy that I like to embrace, which is I want there to be the greatest contrast between my earthly body and my glorified body as possible. <laughs> right? So when I'm thinking about my diet, I'm going, okay, Lord, this is going to help me glorify you one day, right? I am eating for the glory of God. I am enjoying this ice cream, this Twinkie, this Ho-Ho, whatever it is, because when you give me my glorified body, I'm going to spend eternity just in awe of the fact that you did that, okay? So maybe for some of you guys, you don't buy into that philosophy, though, and, and you buy into the philosophy, you know what, I'm going to take care of my body, and so you eat well, and you go to the gym, and, and, and the reason is because you understand ultimately that our time is short, and that you want to extend the time and, and, and last for as long as you can. For some of you, the fact that the time that we have left on this earth is finite has impacted the way that you invest financially. You've thought about, you know what, I want to be a wise steward of the money that God has entrusted to me. And so I want to plan well so that maybe I can retire or so that my children and grandchildren will be taken care of. I hope and it's my prayer that each and every man in this room has wrestled with the idea of your finite time, the, the small amount of time you have left, and the idea of eternity. That all of you have come to realize that you need to invest your faith in Jesus Christ and his accomplished work on your behalf so that when you are taken home or when the Lord does return, that your eternity is an eternity spent with him in the glories of his presence and not in an eternity spent away from his glory in the presence of hell, in the presence of his wrath. These are all ways that we need to think and respond to that reality that our time left here on this planet is short, it's limited, it's finite. But there's a, another area that I'd like to end our time with together by focusing in on this morning, and that's this. Has your finite future made an impact on the relationships that you have with your brothers in Christ? Has the reality that your time is fleeting changed the way that you relate to other believers? Has it put a drive within you to see your brothers sharpened in their walks with Christ as a result of their friendship with you? 
As we wrap our time together this morning, our text is going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. So turn there in your Bibles with me, if you would. And in this whole passage, as we're about to see here in a moment, the the author of Hebrews is expounding upon the glories of our salvation, the glories of the, the reality that Christ has offered for a single time, a sacrifice that has perfected us for all time, those of us who are being sanctified. And as he's expounding upon these things, he commands us that we need to be intentional with the time that we have remaining to see our brothers in Christ spurred on towards a greater degree of Christ-likeness. I want us to get a running start into this passage, so let's start in verse 19, actually. The author says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, back in verse 11, he said, contrasting the the sacrifice of Jesus with the sacrifice of the priest, he says in verse 11, every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so then he says, therefore, brothers, in verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence because of that single sacrifice to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in Hebrews chapter 10, by the time we get to 19, there's that big word at the beginning of verse 19 that says, therefore, that that signals to us that the author is now moving from a a period of theological reflection and theological explanation to his application. In fact, the epistle to the Hebrews really is more sermonic than any of the other epistles that we have in the New Testament. In other words, it, it reads more as a sermon than any of the other epistles that we have in the New Testament. And when we come to verse 19, the author is about to apply what he's just been talking about. And what he's just been talking about is the the glories, again, of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are forgiven once and for all through the once the the one time sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. And this application that he gives us, we find it in three parts here. He says, Therefore, first let us draw near with full assurance of faith. In verse 22. This pertains to our our vertical relationship with the Father, that we now can approach the throne of God, as he said earlier in this letter when he said that, that we can have boldness to draw near to the throne of God because we have a great high priest who has opened the way for us. And so part of the application of the gospel in our lives, man, is we've got this vertical relationship with the Lord that we can have confidence to go before him, that we can have confidence and full assurance of faith in our standing before the Lord. But then he goes on, he says, then let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Here he's talking about an inward relationship, an inward resolve. You remember the the Hebrews, the audience that the author was writing to, they were facing a, a temptation to return, to even go back to Judaism, some of them, 
because they were facing some increased heat for being Christians. They were facing some increased persecution against them. But he's saying, look, now because of your standing in Christ, hold fast your confession. Have that inward resolve that, that this is right, that this is true, that no matter what's going on around you, we're going to hold fast to our confession that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that his death once for all has atoned for our sins. And then he turns to the third part of this application. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another. And that's where it, it gets from the vertical to the inward, now to the horizontal elements. It's what we've been talking about so far this weekend with uh, Pastor Mike's message last night and then Pastor Lucas and then even the, the questions that we've just been fielding during our Q&A time. It's been talking about how do we as men relate to one another? What should we be doing with one another? And the author of the Hebrews here is he's, he's pulling out from this idea that because of our relationship with Christ, now it means that our horizontal relationships with one another need to be different. The gospel, in other words, has an all-encompassing impact on our lives. It impacts us vertically, it impacts us inwardly, and it impacts us horizontally. But it's that last one, that horizontal, that drove the vision of this conference. As a result of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, men, are our relationships with one another different? Are they different? Has it made an impact on our relationships with one another? Let's read verses 24 and 25 again. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right away, a word that should jump out at us from this passage is that word that's just four words in. It says, and let us consider. Let us consider. It's framed in the way it's a first person plural command. In other words, the author is taking himself and he's taking all of us and he's putting us all in the way of this command. Let us consider. We should do this. We must do this. This isn't an, the author's opinion or suggestion. This is the, the, the command that's backed with the full weight of the authority of God's inspired word. And so he says, we should, we must consider I don't know about y'all, but, but that's not the strong call to action that I initially expect in a verse like this, right? I mean, he's just coming off of this great uh, explication and explanation of the, the sacrifice of Jesus. And then he's like, okay, now as a result of that, let us, and we want to hear him say, let us go, let us do, let us be. Something that, that spurs us into action, that throws us into action. And yet then he comes back to this word and he says, let us consider. What does it mean to consider? It's a word that means to give intentional, concentrated thought to something. It's not something that we stumble into. It's something that we have to be serious about, that we have to, to make a priority, that we have to discipline ourselves to consider something. Solomon wrote to his son in Proverbs chapter 6, Six through eight, and he's actually addressing the sluggard here, but he's warning and, and teaching his son in the way. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. 
So Solomon here is instructing the sluggard, the lazy person, to consider, there's our word, the ant. What is, he, what is he asking him to do? What does he want him to do there? He's wanting him to give intentional thought to the ways and manners of the ant. Why? Because he wants him to do something with that. He wants him to ruminate. He wants him to, to marinate his mind in the, the discipline that the ant has so that it will have an impact in his own life. And so likewise, the author of the Hebrews here commands us that we are to consider, to give intentional, focused thoughts. Again, in light of our standing in Christ, let us consider. Consider what? What is it that we are to consider? We're to consider how to stir up one another. Stir up, it's another phrase that grabs our attention in this text and causes us to say, okay, what does he mean to, to stir up? Even in English, we get the, the imagery there. To stir up something is to, to remove a state of stagnancy or a state of calmness, right? If you stir up a, a cup of water, that cup is going to be, the, the water will be churning in that. It's going to move into that vortex. There's, there's action, right? It's, it's no longer stagnant. To stir up the word in the original meant to provoke. It meant to incite even. And to rouse. And honestly, it's, it's an unexpected word in our context here. Because it's a word that wasn't often used in a positive sense. In fact, one of the only other areas that we find it used is in Acts chapter 15, verse 39. Acts chapter 15, verse 39, it says there, And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And so there you have the, 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 the argument that, that took place there. It's a sharp disagreement. That sharp disagreement, it's the same word. Something was incited. There was a provocation. There was something that led to the break in fellowship there. And so oftentimes that word stir up was used in a, a negative way. But here the author of, of the Hebrews, he takes it and he uses it and he redeems it in a positive sense for us. He says that we as brothers are to stir up one another. In other words, we're to make sure that as, as brothers in Christ, we don't have brothers in our lives, in our circles that are stagnating spiritually. We want to be an irritant that won't allow a brother in Christ to fall into a state of, of spiritual complacency, of spiritual inactivity, of spiritual passivity, of spiritual stagnancy. We want to be the burr in the saddle. We want to be the pebble in the shoe that we're not going to let a brother slip. We're not going to let a brother let up, slow up, or give up in his pursuit of Christ. We're going to stir up. You know, for a long time, my dad struggled to get connected to the body of Christ. And he had reasons why he couldn't get connected and couldn't find a place and couldn't find a, a local church to get involved in. Until finally, this passage was one that was ultimately a, a wake-up call for him. Because he read this, these words and said, let us consider how to stir up one another. And he realized two things about his life. He realized that he had no one in his life that was stirring him up. And he had no one in his life that he was also on a, his own side stirring up himself. And so he went to a church not far from his house and he scheduled a meeting with the pastor and he sat down with the pastor and he opened up to this passage 
down the street at a coffee shop and he said, hey, look, this is what I need in my life. I need to be stirred up because I'm not right now. I'm stagnant right now. That's what we're talking about, that, that we can't be content with spiritual stagnancy and complacency in our own lives, and we don't want to be content with it in the lives of others. But we're to stir up to what end? To the end that they continue in love and good works. Stir one, the other, one another up to, to love and good works. Stir, stir one another up to, to love suggests this call to, to unity with one another, to caring about one another that ultimately will manifest itself in good works. John wrote and said, beloved, let us not love in word and thought only, but also in deed, right? That that love for one another is gonna carry over into good works. And so as we think about things together this morning and how we need to be those that are spurring one another on, the first thing that we need to do, point number one this morning is this, plan to provoke righteousness in your brothers. Plan to provoke righteousness in your brothers. Be those who are giving consideration to these things, who are taking time out to think intentionally about how to do this, how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. What are some ways that you can do this? Well, step one, hopefully you've heard this enough times with the messages last night and with the Q&A this morning. Be involved in a small group. Be involved in a small group. This, what we're talking about with this whole conference, it's, it's not gonna take place if you're not involved in that, the turning the chairs inward, if you're not involved in a small group with other men, building relationships with other men. And yes, that, that can happen in men's Bible study. That can happen in Thrive. That can happen in Compass small groups. Some, for some of you, you're involved in, in multiple small groups. Awesome, praise God. But, but be involved at least somewhere in a small group where you are building relationships with men that are gonna lead to the opportunities to stir one another up. Second, get to know some of these men outside of the small group. Pastor Mike was talking about that at the end here this morning. The reason why we're doing these activities is because we wanna build into one another's lives outside of the, the small group time with one another. Invest in friendships with one another. Get to know guys, spend time with guys, breakfast, coffee, family dinners, vacations. I know a lot of you guys like to grab another family and go on vacation with them. I think that's awesome. That's great. That's a great way to to get to know other families and to build relationships with people. Go play golf. Golf is four hours of concentrated, you're going to get to know me whether you like it or not. Next, pay attention to prayer requests. If you want to excel in stirring others up to to good works, to love and good works, pay attention when they ask you to pray for something. Or when you're in your small group time and and somebody's writing down the the small group prayer request and then they send those out into the email inbox. I know our lives get busy, guys, and it's interesting to just kind of let that be white noise in the email inbox, but make that one of the most important emails that you get on a weekly basis. Pay attention to that email. Pay attention to those prayer requests. Use an app. Write them down. Prayer mate. Echo, those are our two common prayer apps that are out there. Download it on your phone. Utilize those so that you can know how you need to be praying for your brothers. Next, schedule time in your day to give thought and prayer to these men and their requests. Remember, consideration, considering something involves intentional thought. 
It's not something that we can just throw in as, as we're doing a million other things at the same time. It's not something that we can multitask on. You need to give specific time to this discipline of thinking about one another and how you can encourage one another, how you can stir one another up towards love and good deeds. The men that are in that innermost circle that you have, plan before you see them how you can specifically be that burr in their saddle, that pebble in their shoe to spur them on towards love and good works. If a friend asks you for prayer for a struggle in his life, find some time to specifically ask him how he's doing on that. Don't just let it be that, hey, I'll pray for you, and then you never revisit that. But come back and let him know that you are praying for him, that you are wanting to, to be involved and holding him accountable on that. If a brother tells you about an opportunity that he has coming up where he thinks he's gonna have an opportunity to share Christ or to evangelize, to share the gospel, follow up with that. Think about that. Give thought to that. Pray for his meeting with that person during the week. Give intentional time to that. And then when you see him next time, you see him follow up with him and say, hey, how did that go? Did you have the opportunity? What can I pray for? How can I pray for follow-up opportunities with you? Ask your brothers about their time in the word. Ask your brothers about the, the time of the word. Are you doing the DBR? Guys, do you know how simple it is to do the DBR these days? Even our smart devices now, you can ask Alexa to read the Compass Bible Church DBR and she will read it to you. On your phone, on the way into work, in the shower, whatever. Get the, the DBR done at, at base, right? And then let's build on that. But be involved in each other's lives. Spur one another on. Come up to me and say, hey, did you do the DBR today? Let's be that, that intentional with one another and don't just leave it there, but say, great, what did you take away from your time in the word this morning, today? What challenged you? Was there anything that came out of your time in the word today that I can be praying for you on? That's, that's spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, challenging us to be intentional with that time in the word. Ask your brothers about their prayer life. What are you praying for right now? Who are you praying for right now? Ask them about their marriage. Hey, how's your patience been with your wife? Pastor Lucas talked about this last night, didn't he? How have you been speaking to your wife? How have you been praying for your wife? Are you praying with your wife? Are you leading your wife spiritually? How are those things going? This doesn't have to be reactive when you have a brother come to you and say, hey, my marriage is struggling. Be proactive in one another's lives in this. Even if they don't ask you to, to say, hey, hold me accountable for how I'm doing my marriage, that's all right. You've got a green light as brothers in Christ to spur one another on in that towards love and good deeds. Hey, have you had a date night recently? You've got five kids at home. I'd love to babysit all five of them for free for you. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Good looking out. Ask him about the kids, right? Guys, as, as dads, we need you guys that have gone before us to come before us and say, hey, how are you doing in disciplining your kids? Are you disciplining them out of anger? Are you disciplining them out of love? Are you teaching them? Are you admonishing them? Are you being patient with them? Are you being loving with them? Are you praying with them? Are you praying for them? Spur us on, provoke us. Be that burr in our saddle towards love and good deeds. You know, when my dad went and met with that pastor, the pastor responded to him and he said, what are you doing right now? My dad said, well, nothing, I'm here with you. And he said, great, let's get in the car. And they got in the car and they drove over to the church and he walked my dad into the worship center and he said, here, this is where we gather on Sunday. This is where I want you this Sunday. And then he took him over to the, the adult Bible fellowship, the Sunday school class that they have. And he said, this is where I teach on Sunday mornings. I want you in here on Sunday morning. You wanna be stirred up? This is where it starts. 
And then he followed that up and he said, what are you doing on Friday mornings? My dad said, I I don't really have a routine on Friday mornings. He said, great, we've got a men's Bible study that meets for breakfast here on Friday mornings. I wanna see you there this week. That's what it looks like, man, to, to begin to get involved in one another's lives, to say, let's go, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. This is what we're after. This is what it looks like to stir up, to refuse to allow each other to, to fall into a state of spiritual complacency, of spiritual stagnant. But the key to this all is that we have to be intentional. And unfortunately, the default for all of us is not that. The default is not to consider. The default is not to have these conversations on the patio or after small groups when we gather together. The default, unfortunately, is for us to have conversations on the patio and together that really don't go much deeper than the conversation we would have with the TSA agent in line waiting to get through airport security. So let's not be settled with that. Let's not be content with that. Let's provoke, let's incite, let's be irritatingly sanctifying in one another's lives. But that's not all we must do. He continues in verse 25. He says, not only must we stir one another up to love and good works, but we must make sure that we are not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Let us, we must, we have to. This is a command. We have to not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. To neglect is to abandon or to withdraw or to cease from attending. But guys, it can also mean to lack consistency. It can mean to lack consistency. Meeting together isn't just about the physical act of gathering in a place or in a home for a small group. Otherwise, we could fulfill this command by showing up at the Rams game together, couldn't we? We could fulfill this game by showing up at the USC game. It's not when they're playing UT, right? Hook them horns. Hoyt, that one was for you. There's something distinct about the gathering of the church, isn't there? There is. In fact, Paul re- writes about this in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. For us, we go, yeah, of course, why not? But Paul's writing to a group who for so long, for their entire lives and for the lives of everyone that had grown up before them and lived before them, the Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't mingle. But Paul's saying this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly places. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How? Because this happens. Because men 
from all kinds of different backgrounds, different walks of life, different upbringings, different socioeconomic statuses, different histories, some of you with great lives, some of you with hard lives, some of you with, with just mediocre, some of you are brand new to Christ, some of you have been believers for decades. But all of you can come together, united under the gospel of Christ and be here to encourage one another and to love one another and to serve one another and to provoke one another on to love and good deeds. And what Paul is saying is that the, the, the rulers and the authorities, they look at that and they can't get it because it doesn't make sense unless it's the natural outflow and production of the gospel at work in one another's lives. You don't get this with the Kiwanis Club. You don't get this with the Elks. My stepdad, who is a, a, an unbeliever, looks for it in tennis groups and in, in everything else, and, and yet he sees the, the fellowship and the relationships and the bond that my wife and I have with other believers in the church, and he looks at my mom and he says, I, I want what they have, but I can't find it. Because it's here in the local body of believers. And so, men, that's why we have to be consistent, because what happens here is so important, so important, and every single one of you are a part of that. It's not just the leadership that displays the manifold wisdom of God, not even close. It's all of us together building each other up, caring for one another, loving one another, spurring one another, one another on to love and good deeds. That's what displays the manifold wisdom of God. And you have to be a part of that. And so please don't neglect being there. Be consistent. Be all in here. The gospel drives us into community. That's Paul's whole argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We need one another. Right after this passage, the author of Hebrews says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, this is in verse 26, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of the fire that will consume the adversary, adversaries. I don't think it's an accident that this stern warning passage follows right on the heels of where he's talking about the body life in the church. The local church can't be an add-on to our lives. To be a believer is to be a part of the body of Christ, the local body of Christ, to be investing in one another, to be caring about one another, to be praying for one another, to be loving one another, to be nuthoteoing one another, this, to be wearing weird shirts with funny words on it, right? This, that's part of what it looks like to be part of the body of Christ together. It's point number two for us this morning. It's this, make the local church a top Priority. Make the local church a top priority. How do I do that? What does that look like? Well, first, let me encourage you to, to be intentional, to remind yourself of the why before you attend, before you go. Take that time to remember why you're going to an event. 
It's really easy, and we've got a lot of things going on at our church, and we believe in every single thing that we put on here. We believe that it's, it's profitable and helpful and useful, but we also recognize that it's easy to fall into the routine and the trap, and you can find yourself going through the motion, showing up to men's Bible study, showing up to small groups, showing up to Compass Night, showing up to Awana to serve there or to thrive. Think about it before you get in the car and you go. And, and even if you've got families and you're bringing them, lead them in that intentionality too. What are we getting ready to do? And why are we getting ready to go do this? Why are we making time for this? Remind yourself of the why before you go. Next, the way that you can do this is go expecting something. Go expecting something. Expect to learn. Expect to be challenged. Expect to be convicted. Expect to be prayed for. Expect to pray for someone. Expect to worship. Go expecting something. While we're talking about going, thinking about going, expecting something, let me encourage you this way too. Go and be on time. All right, man, I mean, I, I get it. It's, it's hard, but I'm gonna just tell you this. My wife on Sunday mornings, because I'm here early to, to pray with, with our other pastors before Pastor Mike gets up to preach, my wife gets five kids out the door into church on time on the weekend services. You can get your families here on time, all right? Be here. If you're thinking, you know what, the music's not my thing, it's part of living together as the community, as the body of Christ. Be here to encourage one another. Lift your voice. Even if you don't like the style of the song, you are playing a part of the body of Christ. Be here on time. Plan. Whatever you got to do, get here and be here on time. Next, invest in relationships. If you guys want to make sure that you are committed to the church and that you're not going to neglect or be tempted to fall to the side, invest in relationships. That's what this whole weekend's about. Invest in worthwhile, meaningful relationships. Next, in, invest in the church. Give to the church. I mean, not only is that commanded in scripture, but it's also one more way to be all in, to be fully committed, fully invested to the local church and to make sure that you're not gonna drift, that you're not gonna neglect meeting together. Next, pray for your church. Hopefully you guys are all doing this. Pray for your church, pray for your pastors, pray for the ministry leaders, pray for the volunteers, pray for your brothers, pray for your small groups. Be praying for them. Next, serve. Again, a highly t a committed participant is one who attends, who connects, and who serves, right? Attend, connect, serve. You've been gifted by the Lord. You have spiritual gifts. They've been given to you if you are in Christ for the what? Building up of the body, for the edification of the body. If you're not serving, you're robbing your brothers in Christ of the giftedness that the Lord has, has provided for you. Get involved, serve, participate with whatever you can and wherever the Lord has gifted you and ultimately plan be prepared think ahead and plan give intentional thought for all of these things to happen to meet together is is more than just showing up it's intentional it's purposeful it's active if all I do is show up and sit passively and then go home I, I'm neglecting meeting together the way that the author of Hebrews is talking about it here. It's not just about the perfect attendance award. 
It's about getting involved in one another's lives, about being that burr in the saddle, that pebble in the shoe, spurring one another, another on towards love and good works. Verse 25 continues, not neglecting to meet together, but we must be encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, encouraging one another. It's that word that's come up time and time again this weekend as well, not just admonishing nuthoteo, but also encourage, parakaleo. It's that coming alongside of a brother. It's like in, encouraging, supporting a fellow competitor in a race. All of us are gonna have times in our walks with Christ where we need other faithful brothers to come alongside us and to hold us up until we can regain our, our vitality and our strength and keep running the way that we need to be running. If you remember back in the 90s, the Olympics that were in Atlanta, there was a sprinter who was out for a race, or a, he may have been a, a distance runner, but he was ready to go. And, and you guys know the amount of work and preparation that goes into the Olympics. And this was his moment. This was his time. And the starting gun went, and he started his race. And all of a sudden, all, along the way, he reached back, and he grabbed that hamstring, and he crumpled to the track. And his competitors blew by him. And here was this young man lying on the track with his hopes and his dreams fading into obscurity. And all of a sudden, from the stands came his dad. And he went out onto the track and he didn't grab his son and pull him off into the grass and say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with you over here. You can get out of the race. His dad went there and he picked him up and he put his arm around his shoulder and he finished the race with his son. Man, that's what this type of encouragement looks like for us in one another's lives. As we don't neglect meeting together, we need to be encouraging, exhorting, pleading one another to keep pressing on. When you see a brother slowing down in his race, you, you grab him and you pull him back in and you help him match your pace. It's not passive empathy or hollow words. It's the stirring up of one another, encouraging one another. But notice this final command is framed within the context of the approaching day. The approaching day, which is a clear return to the, re clear reference to the return of Christ. Second Peter 3.10, 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are on it will be exposed. Christianity isn't something that we just do to pass the time. There's a purpose to everything and here we're reminded that there's an eschatological urgency to our relationships with one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, encouraging one another. Why? Because the day is drawing near. There needs to be an, an urgency about our involvement in one another's lives because that day is drawing closer and closer with every single passing day, passing hour, passing minute. That's our third point this morning. It's this. Don't waste your friendships. Don't waste your friendships. We need to have an, an urgency about our love for one another, men. We shouldn't be content with men who are stagnant. We shouldn't be content with men who aren't leading at home, with men who aren't showing up at church, with men who aren't praying, with men who aren't reading the word, who aren't stirring up or being stirred up. 
And guys, we need to, to come to grips with the reality that for some of the men in our church that aren't stirring up or being stirred up, it's because they're not in Christ. And so the time is short. And so the relationships that you have here, make them intentional. Don't waste them on the things that this world cares about. Get to the heart of the matter. One of the most frequent questions we should be asking men that we meet on a regular basis here at the church is, what's your testimony? What's your story? That, that should almost be right after, hey, what's your name? How'd you find out about our church? What's your testimony? Why? Why do we need to go after that so quickly? Because it's urgent. Because if we believe what the scripture says, that Jesus, the Christ, could return for his bride at any minute, at any moment, we want to make the most of the time that we have left. You say, well, what about our relationships with the guys that we do believe are brothers in Christ, are genuine believers? Guys, here's the reality. How many times did Jesus exhort the disciples, be ready for my return because you don't know at what time or what hour the master is going to come? We wanna make sure, guys, not only that we are ready for the Lord's return, but that our brothers in Christ are also ready for the Lord's return. So we can do that by being involved in one another's lives, by stirring one another up, by, by being present with one another, by encouraging one another, by reminding one another of this urgency, of this fervency, of the, the reality that Christ could come back at any minute. And so let's get beyond the score of the Rams game when we're out on the patio on Sunday mornings and start to have some significant life-changing conversations. It's not that you can't talk about things like the Rams games or the weather or anything else like that, but let's, guys, let's get past that. And let's get past that in a hurry and let's get to the things that matter, the things that are gonna sharpen one another, one another. Guys, we want to be that guy on the patio and you all know who this is, that you see him coming and you're like, oh, this is not going to be an easy conversation. <laughs> be that guy to everybody. Man, I appreciate that guy because I know that I'm going to walk away encouraged and edified and challenged. And when I see that guy coming and I'm like, I need to go grab another donut in the opposite direction, I know that there's something about my own life that I've got a problem with that I need to, to get right, right? Right? We need to be those types of men because our time is short. Our time is short, 78.6 years. And that's the average. Some of you in this room are gonna excel that, exceed that, blow by that. Others of you in this room are gonna fall short of that or the reality is all of us in this room could miss it completely because Christ could come back tomorrow. And so the whole heart, the whole desire, the whole reason behind this conference with this strange, weird Greek word that we threw out there has been this, this very reason. I love you guys. Sitting here last night, looking at a room of, of 300 plus men, listening to the men sing together. It gets me fired up. It gets me charged up. And when I look at this, I'm like, okay, God, let's not waste this group of men in this church. 
Let's get fired up. Let's get involved in one another's lives. Let's be the type of men that are gonna do the hard work to care about one another enough to be involved and to call one another out on sin when we need to be called out on sin. And men, let's be receptive to one another getting in our kitchen with, with sin that we need to confess and repent of. But then let's also be the men that don't just camp out there. Let's be the men that aren't content with where we're at corporately. Let's be the men that are saying, let's excel still more. Let's get after it. Come on, come with me. We're going to charge ahead. We're going to get better. We're going to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We're going to be irritatingly sanctifying in one another's lives. We're going to press on and we're going to watch God do amazing things through this church in whatever time that we've got left. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the time that you've given us so far. We thank you for any time that we do have left. And God, help us to be men that are serious about taking full advantage of that time. May we redeem it. May we be men who are zealous for you and for one another. Lord, may we care not just about our own walk with Christ, but about those of our brothers that are in this room. May we be men that are burrs in the saddle and pebbles in the shoe to, to spur one another on, to love Christ more, to say, hey, you're doing this, that's great, but excel still more. Press on, grow even further, increase the pace. Let's run harder after Christ and let's do it together. God, make this a church where we are stirring one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together encouraging one another because we do know and believe that that day is drawing near. And yes, Lord, we long for that day and we pray together, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, help us to be men who take seriously our calling to use wisely the time that we have left for your name, your glory, and your honor. In Christ's name we all pray, amen.